John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Oh, oh, oh. 
Thank you, Pilgrim Band. Let's be in a spirit of prayer together. Let us pray. Oh God, this day open us up. If we are complacent, shake us up. If we are stuck, move us. If we are cynical, give us hope. If we are weary, give us strength. If we are discouraged, give us courage. God, remind us that we do not walk this road alone, that always you bring brothers and sisters for us to go along, and you walk with us too in the person of Christ and in the Holy Spirit, to trust in that spirit, uh, to know that you never leave our sides. Transform us in the words, in the music, in the prayers, and in the quiet. Amen. And from that text that Owen shared with us, and just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Beloved. Beloved, to be loved or to not be loved or no belovedness, at least not from the world. So all this little girl wanted to do was go to an amusement park called Fun Town. Fun Town. It was in the early 1960s in the Deep South, and so this young girl named Yolanda wanted her dad to take her and two brothers to that park not far from their home in Atlanta, and she pestered him about it constantly. Why can't we go, Dad? Because to her, Funtown was an amazing and wondrous place. She knew other kids who got to go and ride the roller coaster there and play the games in the Penny Arcade and snack on salty popcorn and sweet cotton candy and stay until closing. Why couldn't her family go? It just wasn't fair. So finally, one day, her father, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. sat her down and explained to her that while Funtown was segregated, it was a place reserved for whites only, and that because they were black, they were not welcome there, not at all, and so they could not go there, someday maybe, but not yet. They would have to wait. King recalled that tender and sad conversation in his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail. He wrote that missive in response to a group of white Protestant Southern clergy from that city who had taken out a full-page newspaper ad asking King and his fellow civil rights protesters to just wait and to be patient, to leave Birmingham. And so King, from jail, wrote a letter. And he responded to them, in part writing, When you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering, as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter 
why she can't go to the public amusement park that has been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children and see the depressing cloud of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky and see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your first name becomes the N-word and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and when your wife and mother are never given the respected title Mrs., when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. To wait. Fifty-five years later, and those words still ring so true, at least for me, as a Christian, as a citizen, Yes, even as we have come so, so far yet, even as we've got so, so far to go, as a nation and as a world, still seeking a day and working for that dream when all God's children will know their belovedness, will know their God-given belovedness, their worth and their dignity, their somebodiness as our brothers and sisters in the human family, and in the family of God. Friends, that's what it means to be beloved. That is the title and the name that God bestows upon Jesus Christ in baptism, that bestows upon us in our creation. Belovedness is not complicated. It means to be able to fully live in this world and enjoy this world with no human barriers or isms to hold you back. Everybody, beloved. Everybody gets to go to Fun Town and ride the roller coaster. God loves all people equally, without favor, without condition. You, me, and every single last soul on earth is beloved from Jesus Christ rising up out of the Jordan River to a kid in Haiti, to a kid in Holliston, to me and to you, because, friends, we are all God's children. We are all beloved. We are loved, and we are loved by God. And now, can I get an amen? Amen. But are we equally beloved by our fellow humans without any favor, without any prejudice, without any bias. The power of King's story about little Yolanda King 
is that it reminds us that although the sins of exclusion and oppression often play out most dramatically in the media or in politics, they happen most viscerally in real people's lives, in everyday lives, like a child who wonders if they are really worthy, beloved, because the world devalues them. And why? Because their skin is a different color or they speak a different language, or they came here from a different country, or they are developmentally or physically challenged, or they have a family that doesn't look like everyone else's. And so they begin to wonder or worry or imagine that they are, in fact, nobody or less than, or they despair, or they lash out in anger, And all because this world can tell them that they are not beloved, that they are not loved. The story. Many of you know that last spring and fall, members of our church and our sister church, Bethel African American Episcopal Church in Boston and Grace Lutheran Church in Needham, we gathered together for three small group meetings called Conversations on race and faith. For three nights last fall, 20 of us sat around tables and ate cookies and talked honestly and deeply about our experiences of race and how it relates to our Christian faith. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit that it was the first time in 57 years that I had actually taken such intentional time to listen to really listen to such poignant and profound stories. And one story especially has stayed with me. It came from one of our Bethel friends, a female professional many of us know and love very deeply. We were discussing how aware or not each of us are of our race, our race in daily life. John, she said, I think about my race from the moment I leave my house in the morning until I get home at night. I'm aware of it almost every single action in every single interaction that I have on the subway, at work, everywhere as I move through the city. The one place that I finally feel most safe and at ease is at Bethel on Sundays, for there I can finally and fully relax and be myself. Otherwise, that question, it's always right there for me. I have to tell you, that was a Holy Spirit light bulb moment for me. I mean, I know I never, I have ever thought about such things. I just take for granted the ease with which I can move anywhere in the world, everywhere, and always feel safe, and always feel secure, and always feel welcomed, and always feel beloved in a way. Never wary, never wondering, never worried. So I thank God that I finally got to hear her story.
So friends, for me, I believe this is where the hope for a beloved world and a beloved community and a beloved nation begins. It begins when we make a commitment to be with people who are different than us, to listen to folks who are different than us, to ask about and then to hear with respect and care the stories of what it means for them to live and to move through this world as the children of God that they are. Do you hear that? Can I get some head nods here? Do you hear that? That's where it all begins. So let me ask you, whom are the beloved children of God in your world whose story that you need to get to know more deeply? Think about that hard. Maybe it's folks of a different race or culture or class. Maybe it's someone much younger or much older than you. Maybe it's a coworker or a new neighbor or a teammate or the person who serves you coffee every morning. Maybe it's even someone in your very own family. But the question is this. Dare we get to know, really know, their belovedness, their stories, perhaps of nobodiness and exclusion. Because if the dream is to come true, we must begin to talk to and to really listen with love to each other. And of that I am absolutely convinced. Be loved. Beloved. This is what God says to Jesus, to you, to I, to all God's children, every last one. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. Let all God's beloved people declare, amen. Amen.